John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, He has finished the upper room discourse, giving them instruction to prepare them for his departure. And now he spends time praying for them. And I believe this is the longest uh, prayer that we have recorded for us in the scripture given by Jesus. So the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. Uh, In relation to the Father, he prays to be glorified. And Jesus wants to be glorified because when he's glorified, when Jesus is honored and when Jesus is exalted, the Father is honored and exalted as well. And Jesus has that passion to honor and glorify his Father. And to do so, he must be honored and glorified. He says in verse 4, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And then he prays uh, in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world began. So it's entirely appropriate for Jesus to have this glory that he once had with the Father before he condescended and assumed a human body and came to live with us on earth for a while. And no doubt verse 5 really is looking forward to the resurrection, to the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God the Father. And then in verse 6, Jesus goes on. Now he prays for his disciples. And I've noted uh, four things this morning that I want us to mention. I've simply entitled this, Jesus loves his disciples, he prays for them. And what I'm trying to say with this is Jesus shows his love for his disciples by praying for them. He cares about them. He wants the best for them. He has a plan for them. He has a mission in mind. And so Jesus invokes the name and the power of God to work and to act on behalf of those who have believed in him. Because Jesus really cares about his disciples. And ultimately, Jesus is praying for all those who will believe on him through their ministry and through their word. So the first thing I want us to notice about the disciples is they know God. They know God. They know God in a way that unbelievers do not know God. They have this privilege, this blessing. They know God. Now, do they know everything there is to know about God? No, I don't think any human being knows God completely, thoroughly, because in that case, it would have to be God. To know more than God would have to be greater than God. But we do have the privilege of knowing God. And uh, let me just put down my subplots here so we can try to stay on track. I'll just show this for now, and I'll discuss it. So, notice, if you will, in verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And they have known surely that I came forth from you, And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. Let me just end right there for now. 
So back in verse 6, Jesus says, I have, re- I have manifested, I have revealed, I have disclosed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. I believe that's part of Jesus' mission. He came into the world to reveal God the Father to us. And those who are especially receptive to the ministry of Jesus, those who have opened up their hearts to him in faith, are the ones who are going to benefit from this revealing ministry of Jesus. So I believe when Jesus says this in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me, I believe Jesus says that with great pride and joy. Jesus could not have any greater joy, any greater satisfaction than coming down to earth and revealing his heavenly father to people. What an honor that was for Jesus. And I believe Jesus considers it perhaps the greatest, the greatest thing, the greatest mission he can do is just to reveal, to show, to disclose his heavenly father to people. And especially in this case, to his disciples, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. So I want us to think about this. Now Jesus fulfills his mission. Remember back in, in chapter 1 verse 18? Uh, Jesus uh, there, the Apostle John says, as he's writing the introduction of the Gospel of John, he says, No one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He, the Son, has revealed God to us. And remember in the uh, Upper Room Discourse back in chapter 14, Thomas says to Jesus, Oh Jesus, just, just show us the Father. You've been talking all about how God is your Father and you are the Son of God. Just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied, we'll be content. And so Jesus has to turn to Thomas and say, Look, haven't I been with you for such a long time? And don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? (laughs) And so the disciples are supposed to get the idea that when they look and see what Jesus does, they're seeing what God does. God is revealing himself in Jesus. So these disciples have the wonderful privilege of knowing God through Jesus, and they have known God because they have believed. People are never going to know much about God until they believe in Jesus. When they believe in Jesus, oh boy, they'll really start to learn a lot about God and they'll have the ability and the capacity through the Holy Spirit to really appreciate God as never before. All right, so let us sort of look at some application here. Uh, Letter B, I say, we can reveal God too. Remember, Jesus came down to reveal God. And Jesus had that high honor, that high privilege to reveal God to people. Now, we're probably not going to reveal... Uh, God to people the way Jesus did. Jesus came doing all those signs and wonders and miracles and everything he said was the message of God the Father. But I believe as Christians, we can show God to other people. So I've made some suggestions here. We can show God to other people by showing God's supremacy in our lives. If I live in such a way that I show that God is supreme in my life, that God is truly Lord over my life, if I live in such a way that His commandments and His will is my highest joy and my highest privilege and my highest calling. I'm going to sort of be showing to other people the importance of God. When I obey God, I show the heaviness and the weightiness of God. God is worthy to be obeyed and loved and served. And I can communicate that to other people the way I live my life. And then I say in number, uh, some letter two here, I can just live a life of love. I can allow my life to be transformed by the Holy Spirit such that my life exudes love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and kindness and self-control. I can show other people that I'm not just living my life for myself, by myself, following the ways of the world or the norms of society, but there's something higher, something bigger, something better, controlling and moving my life, and it's the Word of God working by the Holy Spirit, energized in me to change my life. 
as I've studied the word of God over the years, I realize the, the, the meaning and the purpose of salvation is transformation. God doesn't save us just to keep us wallowing in our sins or to keep us the same. God saves us to change us. So we can help reveal God to other people. I can speak words that are true, kind, helpful, words that are necessary. I think someone has said, if I remember the quote right, if it isn't true, kind, or necessary, don't say it. So we can even show God to people by, by having our speech transformed, our speech that is seasoned with grace. We might know how to answer every person. So even our words can be powerful in showing that we are different. We belong to God. And then lastly, I mentioned number in subletter four here, we can share the gospel. Uh, we can be quick and thoughtful and mindful of others around us who do not know the Lord. And maybe we can give a, sometimes it's hard though because we may not have much time. It may be just a brief word of testimony in some way, just to get people to think about God. Even if it's just say, well, I believe in God. I, I believe God made everything. You know, we're not here. But I realize that statement is not communicating the gospel per se, but it is a testimony. You know, it's, a, it's, it's a, maybe a powerful testimony because the first order of business in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is that God made everything. The first, people think, the first thing people need to know about God is that God is creator. So we can just give a word of testimony in some way as to our faith in the Lord, and that's helping people get to know God as they see God working in our lives, God having sway and, and power over our own lives. So the disciples have the privilege of knowing God because Jesus came to reveal God. All right, let me look at number two here. The disciples believe. They believe. And Jesus goes out of his way to emphasize the fact that they believe. Uh, notice verse uh, 8. Jesus says, I have given to them uh, the words which you have given me. Now notice Jesus is praying to the Father. And Jesus says to the Father, Father, I have given them, my disciples, the very words that you gave me. So what is Jesus saying? I've been faithful in doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to come and announce the message of God to these people, and I've done that. And I believe Jesus, again, he says with great pride and great joy, great satisfaction in his heart, not only that he has revealed God to these disciples, but he has given them the words. And perhaps the greatest thing we can do in life is to give the words of God, the message of God to other people. Any truth found in this Bible is worth giving to people. And so the disciples have been given the word, verse 8, and notice what verse 8 says. So Jesus gave them the words that the Father had given Jesus. And what do the disciples do? Verse 8, and they have, they have received them. They welcomed the message. And they have known surely, certainly, without a doubt, that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Oh, that makes Jesus so happy. Jesus is thrilled. You know, Jesus endured a lot of opposition. There's a lot of people that didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And furthermore, there were all those, remember those scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Oh, they just wanted to scheme and connive and get rid of Jesus. They resented Jesus because Jesus confronted them and their religious sham. Jesus showed how far short they fell at really honoring the Lord. They were hypocrites back in Matthew. I think it's Matthew 23. Jesus goes off and just calls them hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. But the disciples, they were teachable. They were humble. They opened up their heart wide to the ministry and the message of Jesus. And Jesus, I believe here, says with great pride and joy, 
these, my disciples, they have received, not, not my message, says Jesus. No, they've received your message. And what could make Jesus happier than to receive the message of his wonderful and awesome and loving Heavenly Father? Lord, they have received your message. They have known surely that I came forth from you. They have believed that you sent me. And that's, that's the great message that Jesus wanted to communicate. Why did Jesus do all those signs, miracles, and wonders? So people would know that he is coming from God, doing the very works that only God can do. And so there was this great response of faith. And I believe that the disciples know, they know about God. They have learned a lot about God and his love and his mercy. They have the privilege, uh, along with Jesus, to invoke the name of God as Father. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who is in heaven. They've come to learn a lot about the mercy and the compassion of God. They've come to appreciate how God is fulfilling his plans and his purposes in Jesus the Messiah. But they know because they believe. People will never know until they believe. Oh sure, they may, they, they may know some facts about God. You know, They believe God exists. Maybe they even believe God made everything. But until they open up their heart and life to the mission and the message of Jesus, they're really not going to know God personally, intimately. They're not going to experience God. They're not going to enjoy God. It comes through faith in Jesus. So they believe. And Jesus is delighted. That's why he came. That's why he did everything he did. That's why he laid down his life on the cross. That's why he was raised from the dead. To elicit this response of faith from people. And believe you me, Jesus gave people a reason to believe. Had anybody come doing the kind of works that Jesus did? Who just spoke the word and instantaneously things happened. No. Was anybody raised from the dead like Jesus was raised from the dead? Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. It all, it all happened just the way he said it would happen. So Jesus has come doing all that he has done to bring about the response of faith. And uh, how can you not but believe in Jesus when, when you really look at what he has done, when you look at his, his works and his message? All right, the next point is number three, they belong. Jesus is telling his disciples in this prayer as he prays to God the Father, my disciples are special. They belong. And let's just go back over these words again and notice all of the language here about how Jesus is saying to the Father, these are the ones you gave to me as a gift. They belong belong to you and you gave them to me as a gift. Furthermore, all that belong to you, says Jesus to God, all that belong to you belong to me. All that's yours are mine, and all that's mine are yours. <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's this wonderful language of belonging. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, look, you no longer belong to the world. You now belong to me. You belong to God the Father. You belong to me. You're mine. You're my disciples. You're my pupils. You're my students. You're, you're mine in every way that you can possibly imagine. So Jesus is telling his disciples, you don't belong to the world anymore. The world here is that, that mass of unbelieving humanity. And and you can imagine how Jesus does not like rejection. So the the, the unbelievers are those who have rejected Jesus. It's the mass of unbelieving humanity. That, according to scripture, is really under the dominion of the devil. And they're following lies and things that are not true. So Jesus says, you you don't belong to this mass of unbelieving humanity anymore. You're not an unbeliever. You are a believer in me, and you know God as a result. You're special. You're different. You're unique. 
You have a wonderful privilege and a wonderful status. You belong to me. Now let's go back and notice that language of belonging here because I think it's wonderful and it should give us a great sense of peace and security. Notice verse 6 again. So Jesus says, uh, I have manifested your name, your power, your greatness to the men whom, now here's that, that language of belonging, whom you have given me out of the world. So these disciples now are viewed as a group of people who have been extracted from the mass of unbelieving humanity, going against the plans and the purposes of God. They now belong to God. They belong to God, and God has given them to Jesus as a gift. These are the people you have given me out of the world. They belong to God, and they have been given to Jesus. Therefore, we belong to Jesus. Notice still verse 6 now. They were yours. They belong to you, O God. You gave them to me. (laughs) And they have kept your word. I believe Jesus says all of that with great pride and great joy, Lord. These are your people, God. You gave them to me as a gift. And and what's so wonderful about these people, they're, they're the people that have kept your word. They've honored your word. They have responded in faith to your word. They're yours and you gave them to me. So they belong to God the Father, they belong to Jesus as well. Notice verse 7, that same kind of language of belonging comes up again. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. So even the disciples are supposed to get the sense and understanding that they are a gift from God the Father to Jesus. The fact that they believe in Jesus and that they're part of this group of disciples that are being instructed by Jesus, they're supposed to realize they're a very, very special group of people. And they have a wonderful privilege. Uh, Notice uh, uh, verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, because the world is the mass of unbelieving people, but I pray for those whom you have given me. So again, the disciples are pictured as a gift from God the Father to Jesus. And even Jesus, I mean, even God the Father is the one who has enabled them to believe. He's the one who has opened their eyes and illumined them and enlightened them to see the reality of Jesus. So the disciples are those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus says to God the Father, they are yours. They belong to you. You own them. You claim them. You'll take responsibility for them. Now notice verse 10. This is powerful. This is amazing. So Jesus says... And all mine, all my followers, all those who believe in me, all mine are yours. So Jesus says, all, all the people that belong to me also belong to you. And yours, all that belong to you, O oh God, are mine. They also belong to me. Wow. Talk about security. We belong to God. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in a very special way. And we should really just really think about the security we have because of the one to whom we belong. So this is just this amazing, amazing uh, language used here to communicate how we belong to God the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer part of that world system of, of unbelievers, the world system of evil that's arrayed under the plans and the purposes of the devil. We're no longer antagonistic to God. We're open to God. We've been brought over to believe in God, to believe in the Lord Jesus, and to receive and welcome his words and have the gift of eternal life. All right, number four. My last one was They glorify Jesus. Now look at verse 10 again. This is, this, is, this is powerful. This is important. So Jesus just finished saying in verse 10, And all mine are yours, so all that belong to me belong to God the Father, and yours are mine, 
God, all that belong to you, belong to me. And then the last, the last words, the last affirmation in verse 10, and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. That's Jesus' mission for his disciples. Jesus wants to be and plans to be glorified, to be honored, to be held in high esteem, to be exalted in the life and in the work of his disciples. That's the mission and that's the calling of every Christian. Jesus is saying to every Christian, I am glorified in you. My plan is to be honored and glorified in you. Jesus says to this local church, my plan and my purpose for Emmanuel Baptist Church is to be honored, to be exalted, to be adored, uh, to be held up high uh, in you and through you. That's my plan. That's my purpose. Remember back in the opening verses, uh, back say in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now what did Jesus want? Glorify your son. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And we can well imagine Jesus must be thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross, being crucified. Even that shows uh, his obedience to the Father in such a way that Jesus is glorified in the sense that he, that he, obeyed, he obeyed the Father completely, thoroughly, totally, wouldn't, wouldn't flinch, wouldn't turn aside, even to the point of death. And we can well imagine those words also speak to the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. God really glorified his son in raising him from the dead. And God even glorified his son more in seating him at the right hand of God the Father. And then in verse 4, Jesus uh, says, I finished the work you've given me to do. Verse 5, now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. And again, these words probably speak of the, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation of the right hand of God the Father. But it's more than that. Because God's plan, the plan of Jesus, as he goes back to God the Father, is to lead people on earth who love him, who believe in him. People on earth in whom and through whom Jesus will be honored and Jesus will be glorified. That's the plan, that's the purpose of Jesus. We have no greater calling than to offer our lives, to offer our bodies, our hearts, our minds, all that we are, all that we have. We have no greater calling to offer ourselves to Jesus and say, Jesus, be glorified in me. Be glorified through the life and ministry of this local church. Now let's think about this in a little more uh, detail here. Let me just drop down my subpoints. Uh, this is Jesus' mission for them. We might well ask the question, let her be here. Well, how will they glorify Jesus? How will these disciples glorify? How have they already glorified Jesus? How will they continue to glorify Jesus? So one of the ways that these disciples have already glorified Jesus is... is um, Remember back in verse 8? For I have given them the words which you have given me. In other words, Jesus says to the Father, Father, I've, I've, I've given to my disciples the words that you gave me, and they believed. They believed. They believed my works. They believed my words. They believed that I have come from you, doing your will, speaking your words. They believe that every, they, they have believed that every action I have performed, every miracle, every sign, every wonder, is the power of Almighty God working in me. So one of the greatest ways that the disciples have already glorified Jesus, and one of the greatest ways that we will glorify Jesus, is believing. I don't mean half-hearted trust. I mean full, complete, total resignation to the message and the will 
of Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus. We believe He is the Messiah. We believe He is the Christ who suffered for us on the cross. We believe He died for my sins. And we believe that through faith in Him and faith in Him alone, all of our sins are forgiven. We believe Jesus was raised from the dead. We believe He's alive at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us, securing our salvation forever. We believe that Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign in this world as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe Jesus is supreme. We believe Jesus is truly the Son of God. And so we hold fast to the confession of our faith. So we honor and glorify Jesus in believing. Uh, letter uh, number, uh, number two here, sub, sub point two. They will glorify Jesus in their obedience. They have already responded. They have already kept Jesus' word. And the disciples go, will go forth as a body of men to preach the gospel. And they will continue to keep the word and the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, speaking of uh, obedience... What's one of Jesus' greatest commandments that he gave to his disciples? It's this. I want you to love others as I have loved you. That's one of the greatest commandments that Jesus gave his disciples. And Jesus will mention that later in this chapter and say to them, if you want the world to sit up and take notice that I'm in you and I'm working among you and that you're special and you're different and you're being energized by God, it's going to be because there's love for one another in the body of Christ. We may have our differences of opinion, but there's love, true concern, true care for one another in the body of Christ. So we can glorify God as the disciples did in their believing. Uh, They glorified uh, Jesus in their obedience. And they also glorified uh, Jesus in their joy and rejoicing. Now I can well imagine up till now these disciples have had a great time, just a grand time being with Jesus. Life couldn't be better uh, for... Uh, James and John and some of the others that were fishermen, they probably said, boy, this sure beats fishing. (laughs) Running around with Jesus, seeing all those signs and wonders and miracles. But they became uh, overtaken by doom and gloom, if you will, because Jesus was crucified. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, back in, uh, it was chapter... uh, Right, just back in the previous chapter, chapter 16, Jesus mentions how that right now you'll you'll be full of sorrow and so forth, but later you will be filled with joy. And you'll have a joy that no one can take away from you. My joy will be made full in you. Notice uh, chapter 16, just look across the page, chapter 16, uh, verse 20. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament. That's probably because Jesus is going to be crucified. They don't quite understand all this yet. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Why will the world rejoice? Because Jesus has been crucified. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. What's going to make their sorrow turn to joy? The resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on and gives the example about a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she had given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you will now have sorrow, but I will see you again. In other words, I'll come back from the dead, and your heart will what? Rejoice! And your joy, no one will take from you. I believe we glorify Jesus. I believe the disciples will come to glorify Jesus, and we can glorify Jesus by having great joy in Jesus, by having a great sense of peace and satisfaction and contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace and satisfaction does not come just because we have a huge bank account 
because we're multi-millionaires, which I know no one in this room is anyway, but that's not where our joy comes from, even though having, having this wouldn't be wrong. But our joy is not just in earthly material possessions per se. Great to have these things. They're all gifts from God for which God is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. But our ultimate joy is in Jesus and the knowledge that the knowledge of God that Jesus brings to us along with the gift of eternal life. Notice verse 24. This is now chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. You have asked for nothing from the Father in the authority and in the power of my name. But that's all going to change when Jesus goes back to his Father in heaven. Uh, He says there, Ask, ask, in other words, ask in my name, and you will receive that what your joy may be full. You have the right, you have the authority, you have the privilege to ask Jesus for whatever you want. You have the right to ask God the Father in the name and the power and the authority of Jesus because he died for you, he's been raised from the dead for you. They have the right to ask that, that their joy might be full. In other words, what Jesus is telling his disciples here, you're not going to be left to fend for yourself. You'll have, you'll have the, the resource and the ability to go to God and ask for God in the name and the power, the authority and the love and in the mercy and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe we can glorify Jesus uh, by having a sense of great joy and rejoicing in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then how else will the disciples glorify Jesus? They have a very special mission. They will glorify Jesus in, in some point number four here in their message. In their message. Uh, Notice verse 20. This is chapter 17 now. Chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, through their message. The disciples are going to be sent out. They're going to be commissioned as apostles. They're going to be the sent out ones. They're going to be given a mission to go out and preach the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. They're going to call men and women to repentance and to faith in Jesus. And that's how the disciples will also glorify Jesus. And we can do the same. Be mindful of those around us who are lost, who need the Lord. Pray for them. Perhaps share uh, the gospel as we have opportunity. Uh, give a gospel tract. In some way, and we can glorify Jesus as well. So remember God's great plan to leave us here. To be the conduit, to be the channel through whom the Lord Jesus will be glorified. He saved us for a reason, to glorify his holy name while we're on earth. And there's a number of ways, perhaps we can even think of other ways, uh, that the disciples will glorify Jesus, and we can glorify Jesus as well. So Jesus loves his disciples. He has great plans for them. He's concerned about them. And he couldn't be happier that they are his disciples. And I believe Jesus uh, looks down as he sits on the right hand of God the Father today. And Jesus couldn't be happier that you're one of his disciples. Jesus couldn't be happier because you're one of his followers. You're one of those ones like those first uh, disciples that believe in Jesus. You've opened up your heart and your life uh, to the mission and the message of Jesus as recorded for us in the New Testament. And Jesus delights in you. He loves you. He cares about you. And that's clearly reflected in John chapter 17. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we study John 17, we might realize afresh how much you love us and how much you care about us.
I pray, too, that we might grasp a sense of, of what great privilege we have. Lord, what a privilege it is to know you because Jesus has revealed you to us. What a privilege it is to believe in you. And Lord, we believe that you granted us to believe. You gave us uh, the enlightenment and the willingness to believe. It came from you as a gift. And Lord, just how good it is to be, to be a, a, a channel through whom you can work to glorify yourself. As we think about the wonder of belonging to you, O oh God, we belong to you, we belong to your son Jesus. You have claimed us for yourself. We're special. You love us. You care about us. We're not part of that world system of unbelieving humanity that's antagonistic to you, Lord. We're part of your family. So, Lord, just lift us up, encourage us this morning as we think about who we are because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Following with one of the themes in our uh, Bible study today, our last hymn is 378. 378, we'll sing just the first and the last stanza. Now I belong to Jesus. Now I belong to Jesus. Let's think about the wonder of what it means to belong to Jesus. We're His. 378, the first and the last. 378. 378. 